All right, welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch, the show where we get together every month and we talk about the movie that we really, really loved and recommend to you, to each other, to everyone, what separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related podcasts on the internet is that we're high school friends and we'd be talking about movies even if no one's listening. Right now, we're in our August, well, it's actually September 2nd today, but we're going to be doing our August episode, and uh, I'm Nick Moffat. And I'm here with uh, a few of my closest friends. We've got uh, Derek Deal hey. in Everett, Washington. Hello. Uh, Derek, real, real quick, ice-breaking question. Sam Elliott or Sam Neill? <laughs> uh, Sam Elliott, because of Parks and Rec. Wait, he's on Parks and Rec? Yeah, he's the Eagleton Ron Swanson. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, right. That voice that you just heard is Sean Bowlby from Seattle, or living in Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, um, big take Sean. Big take Sean. Uh, Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise? Oh, uh, Tom Hanks. Gotta go Tom Hanks. Okay, okay. And Tom uh, we, Tom Hanks. we got uh, Brandon so Beb, Bebmeister Bowlby in New York City. Hey, What's guys. up, man? Um, How's it going? S- Sally Field or Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> uh, Beckinsale. Let me Google. What? What? <laughs> Van Helsing. Pearl Harbor. Um, Sally Fields then. <laughs> Sally yeah. Fields by far. Okay, cool. Underworld? Good, good choice. Um, yeah, Underworld. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. That took a Google search. <laughs> well, uh, don't don't ask um, how that uh, came about. Anyway, um, so okay. <laughs> so we are um, in. Like I said, we're in our August episode. Uh, this episode, we have we have a voicemail review. We're gonna go over. And then we're uh, going to do our summer movie wager results. If you've been following us, you know that we've been uh, doing the summer movie wager, and uh, we the results are in at least. At least they should be in tomorrow, but there was, there's no way that things are changing at this point. The results are in. So we're going to go over our results, and then we're going to review. Uh, we have two featured reviews for this for this episode, uh, The Farewell and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. So it's a indie-heavy drama-filled second half of the show. So um, anyway, I think that we should just jump right in, though, do our voicemail review. It's... Um, um, it's from Shannon McLean, who is my wife. So um, yeah, she she sent us a voicemail, and um, I think we should all just watch the voicemail, and um, and then we'll talk about it. Cool. Yep. Check it out. Hey guys, I just wanted to call in, uh, share a few words about a movie that I watched in August. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. I personally really liked this movie. Uh, I had a great time going to the theater to see it. Um, a fan of the franchise, and as a fan, you know, we've come to expect these, like, over-the-top, exaggerated antics. But still, every time I see a new Fast and Furious movie, I am, I find myself just, like, staring at the screen, wide-eyed, jaw-dropped, and just, like, shaking my head in shock that they've thought of of more craziness and I, I there were a few like really classic Fast and Furious moments in this movie 
where I found myself like screaming with joy in the theater. I had such a fun time. Uh, my only problem with this movie, maybe my only problem, I'm sure I have more problems, but my biggest problem with this movie is that it ran a little long. I am pretty firm believer that no action movie needs to be over two hours. So by the end of it, I was a little worn out. I was like a little over over it, the crazy fight scenes. But but overall, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. You know, I think uh, just going in with realistic expectations, uh, is, you're going to enjoy seeing this movie. You know, I found it to be like a really great escapist piece of craziness and uh, i'm curious to hear what what you guys thought if you guys saw it and uh i love the podcast keep up the good work escapist piece of craziness (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) that's a good quote (laughs) put it on the poster so yeah um before before we react to Sharon's uh, voicemail, I just want to say that um, if you're listening and you want to send in a voicemail, uh, feel free. You can contact me on Facebook or um, email, or uh, you can uh, find me on Letterboxd. But uh, yeah, you can contact, you can send in a voicemail, and we will play it for, on the show, and we will react to it. Um, I mean, this one was pretty special because it was my wife, but... Um, I don't know. Um, I I actually saw um, Hobbs and Shaw with with Shen, and I I kind of se- I second what she said. Um, I thought it was it was pretty good. It was it was what it was. It was a lot of fucking action, um, and you know the Rock being a badass and Jason Statham being also a badass. So, do you guys have anything to say? What's it, up? Is it is it the uh, dumbest Fast and the Furious movie to date? dumbest what does that mean uh like (laughs) um ridiculous is it the most ridiculous fast and furious to date um yeah i mean i i definitely think that there's 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 a point where in the franchise where um they embrace um kind of their their true superpowers (laughs) and um this one is 100 percent in on that um, whether or not it's the most ridiculous is kind of, it's pretty ridiculous. In the eighth one, there's a point where the rock punches a torpedo in, <laughs> in, while it's going through ice in the North pole. Um, so that, that, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Um, this one does have some pretty big moments. Um, I don't know. I, I thought this one was better than um, a bunch of the other ones. I thought the eighth one. The thing about Fast and Furious for me is that it's a very it's a very genuine franchise. It's kind of hard to explain when you're not a fan of it, but there's there's real heart with the characters, and um, you know it's all about family. It's all about family, and uh, this one definitely had that. Um, I didn't feel like the eighth one had that as much, but there's a point in, in this one where they go to Samoa and the rocks cousin, Roman reigns, who's also a professional wrestler is in the movie and he doesn't have any lines, but he does get to spear somebody and do his Superman punch and do his trademarked. Oh which, um, <laughs> which, um, I think sums up, um, a lot of the movie for me, but that being nice. said, we actually, that being said, we actually have a really fun activity right now because all of us are going to rank 
our Fast and Furious movies, even though I think I'm the only one that's seen all of them at this point. So there's there's nine, including Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. So um, I think we should just go around and, and do our rankings. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, not just what your guys' rankings are, but which ones you've seen. So, um, Derek, do you want to go first? Sure. Do you want me to start from like the bottom countdown to number one? Yeah, start from start from the bottom, and now we're here. You know. Yeah. So my least favorite one was the John Singleton's Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, it was a pretty boring movie. I just really didn't like it at all. Uh, yeah. So that's number eight, right? Eight. Let me count it. I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw yet. So, so yeah. Okay. Eight. So we shouldn't be expecting Hobbs and Shaw. Right. Don't expect it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, my number seven is Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Number six is Fast and Furious. So that would be the, not the original. That's like the, the kind of the Justin started, like the Justin Lin right. reboot-ish. Not reboot, yeah. but like so uh, four? bringing it back. Uh, yeah, this is the fourth one. I just watched this one actually like last week. And yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of boring, yeah. but it also is kind of a franchise. <laughs> it's also kind of a franchise reboot. Like it's yeah. the first one where they kind of are coming back together and it has kind of a different vibe. It's also the first time that they start to use superpowers because Vin Diesel is clairvoyant in the movie. He just like <laughs> looks at a street he looks at a street and then he has a flashback on what happened on the street when he wasn't there. So, um, <laughs> what? Yeah, dude, wow. It's crazy. Uh, anyway, sorry, Dark. Keep going. Oh, no, it's okay. And then uh, The Fate of the Furious. So that would be the newest one and continuity wise, right? Or, well, besides Hobbs and Shaw, I guess. I don't know where that lands. But uh, then the OG, Fast and, The Fast and the Furious which actually I rewatched fairly recently and was not as bad as I remember it being. I remember we gave it so much crap like in high school when mm-hmm. it came out. It really wasn't that well, we, bad. We didn't really get it in high school. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it was ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then Fast 6 would be my number 3. 3. Uh, James Wan's Furious 7. And then, of course, Fast 5, which is... None of the other ones really compete with it, I don't think. But hmm. that's my number one. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, great. Love it. Love it. Uh, who's next? Uh, uh, Sean. Big take Sean. Uh, um, what's I don't your, have what's, what's the big uh, take? really a big take. <clears throat> um, I've only seen two of these movies in their entirety, and I haven't. one of those I haven't seen, I don't know, maybe since high school. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of, uh, two and three, but, um, yeah, just not, not very much at all. And the rest I haven't seen, I've really only seen trailers. So, um, but my number two, uh, fast and furious movie is, uh, is the fast and the furious and my number one Fast and Furious movie is, uh, you know, I don't even know if I know the name of it. Uh, seven. Furious. Uh, the one Furious where Shaw. Seven. Furious Seven. Yeah. So you think one where Furious Seven comes in? 
is the best Fast and Furious movie of all time. Yeah. Well, he hasn't seen five seen. or six. It's a pretty hot or take. Four yeah. or three <laughs> or two. Brandon. So there you go. Oh, I got this. I got this. All right. Okay. So my top four of the nine Fast and the Furious movies is um, number four is the worst that I've seen is Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, number three is The Fate and the Furious, number eight. Um, and then the only one I've seen twice I'd put as number two, The Fast and the Furious. Mm. And I kind of agree with uh, Derek. It's kind of like a fine, harmless movie on rewatch since high school. And my number one that I've seen is Furious 7. Hell nice. yeah. It's two for um, Furious 7. Hell yeah. And okay, so um, I've got mine here. And Derek, ours are very similar. The real list. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, you know, it's I'm, I'm the From one the expert. Of I, I course. guess I guess I'm the only one who's seen all nine of them. So, um, yeah, in that exactly. sense, I will say though that I meant to rewatch. Um, I meant to rewatch four, five, six, seven for this very segment that we're doing right now, um, but I only rewatched four and five. Mm-hmm. Um, Four was better than I remember it being, and five was also very good. Five, well, I don't know if it was better, but five was great. Um, I've only seen seven once. Anyway, I'll just jump right into my list. Okay, so number nine, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Not a fan of that drifting nonsense. Um, Number eight, um, second worst, is Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, number seven, I have Fast and Furious, the fourth movie. Uh, number six, I have The Fate of the Furious. Um, mm-hmm. Number five, I have Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. So right there, smack in the middle. Um, number four, I have Fast and Furious 6, which uh, I think that was the one. That's real quick. That's the one where they really, truly became superheroes. Because there's a scene in that one where a tank is driving down the street and something explodes and Letty goes flying and Dom Superman flies through the air and catches her <laughs> and crashes crashes through the roof of another car and uh, no scratches. No scratches. So, I mean, he's, he's invincible. Um... um um, I'm number three is the Fast and the Furious. I've seen this movie like seven or eight or nine or ten times. Um, I don't Damn. know what I don't know what you guys are talking about with the one or two times nonsense. I love this movie. <laughs> I mean, they're stealing DVD players. You know, just you can't get any more nineties than that. So and it, and it came out in two thousand one. So pff, crazy. Um, so number two, I have Furious Seven. So. Uh, that makes Fast Five number one. I do want to say, I think mm-hmm. it's possible for Furious 7 to be the best one. There are some of the best action scenes in it. And um, it also, most people cry at the end of it. You know, and, and part of that is real life. And Paul Walker died for real. I mean, and that's 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 emotional. It's it's emotional. But I think the movie does a great job with yeah. it. So I think Seven could be number one, but I've seen Fast Five too many times, and it's a tight movie. It's tight. It's great. You got The Rock just bringing life into it. They're in Brazil. It's great. So, Fun fact, um, Justin Lin's returning for Fast 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. However, 
Um, they're bringing on a new writer who. What? It's been the same writer since the third one. So. Are they really bringing on a new writer? Bringing back the classic director, but also switching out to a new writer. Seriously, had I haven't yep. heard about the new writer. That's that's insane because it's been the same guy. Wow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> just oh. see, just looking at it now. Wow. You know who else is going to be in the ninth one? <laughs> hmm. uh, John Cena. Yeah. He's, oh, he's, nice. He's, no yeah, rock. He's, he's on board. Yeah, the no rock's rock? not going to be rock. in it, but they replaced oh. him. Yeah. Well, Vin Diesel and The Rock are feuding, right. uh, pretty hardcore apparently. So hmm. they, yeah, if, you, if you watch if you watch the Fate and the Furious, they're actually never in the same shot as each other, <laughs> because uh, you know, some sucka jabronis can't uh, hang with uh, you know the realness. <laughs> Who are you, Team Diesel or Team Johnson? Dude, I'm Team Rock all the way. <laughs> I mean. With almost everything in life, yeah, I don't, I don't dislike Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I gotta take the rock side. There is, there is a complicated difference though between the two humans. I feel like, I feel like Vin Diesel might be more of a real person, you know, mm-hmm. like he's like a, he's really just a lovable big dork who has huge muscles. Right. The Rock is like, the Rock is like a PR piece, you know, who might be president someday. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Um, Uh, okay okay so let's move on uh fast and furious is great but uh let's move on to the sir movie wager guys um so uh last time we talked uh derek was in the lead um we had hobbs and shock coming out uh once upon a time in hollywood was making money but we didn't know how much it was gonna make godzilla 2 and rocket man were still hanging on there on the list um and there were there were a few variables, but um, at this point, um, the big updates: um, Hobbs and Shaw. It made about 150 million, and it's currently sitting at number seven. So it made a good amount of money, but it didn't go too crazy. Um, got uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood made about 125 million. It actually just bumped up over 130. Oh, I just cool, I just huh? saw that. I just pulled up the summer movie wager thing. So yeah, okay. that's making making really good money. Yeah, so 131. Yeah, it still looks like it's locked in number 10. So that mm-hmm. gave me 13 yeah. points because I was the only one to put it on our list and had it there at number 10. Yep. And uh, so I got I got 13 points for having the number one and the number 10 spot. Huh. Um. And yeah, yeah Godzilla yeah, two, yeah. Godzilla and Rocket Man both fell off the list. So, um, real quick, I think we should just go through and uh, just say what the what the top ten was. Uh, maybe start number ten and go to number one. Does uh, maybe Sean, if you wanted to go through and read and read sure. the list and say kind of say how much money they made. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um... So number 10, as you said, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood made 131 as of now. And obviously some of these numbers are going to continue to go up, especially um, the more recent movies, Hobbs and Shaw, well, the, Once Upon a the Time contest, in Hollywood. The contest is over now, though. Yeah, it's he's over. correct. The contest is over. But these movies, some of the movies will, outside of the contest, might move up a little bit more. Oh, you sure. Know, Once Upon sure. a Time in Hollywood maybe could potentially beat 
detect come out at number nine in the in the long run. But <clears throat> the the contest is over. We're calling it at this point, and we uh, we we put in our votes knowing that the contest was going to end um, today. So, right. Um, but yeah, uh, Detective Pikachu is number nine at one hundred and forty four million. Uh, the okay. Secret Life of Pets two is number eight at 157 million. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw just beat out um, Secret Life of Pets 2 this weekend, probably yesterday, with 159 million. Um, John Wick Chapter 3 surprisingly uh, blew up and made way more than anyone was expecting it to make. Even Derek, who's the only one who put on the list with $170 million. Before you yeah, continue, I want to say there's a $200 million jump once we get to the Disney movies. Correct. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. So $170 million bumps up to 354 So no movie made uh, in the $200 million range. And yeah, like Derek said, it's it's, it's a little under uh, $200 million jump to Aladdin at $354 million at number five. Wow. Um, and then Spider-Man Far From Home was number four with $385 million. And then <clears throat> Toy Story 4, $430 million at number three. The Lion King beat the shit out of it at... Uh, with $523 million at number two. And then obviously we all knew Avengers Endgame was going to be number one uh, with $858 million. Yeah, I knew Avengers made that much money, but man, it's it's weird seeing it, seeing that there. I mean, like comparing Avengers Endgame to the number 10 movie, Quentin Tarantino's small Hollywood <laughs> love letter. Uh-huh. 131 million to 858 million. That's fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 The, the top yeah, five spots all. are That's all insane. Uh, Disney movies. Uh, each of them made over 300 million dollars. Um, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to go through this real quick Jesus. and uh, say, uh, real quick, we're going to all go around. And uh, say our biggest regret. You know, I always find that looking at this uh, in retrospect, it's always so obvious. You know, and so like when you're making the begin making your picks at the beginning of the summer, you you, you have no idea what's happening. You can make educated guesses, but uh, at the end of the summer, I'm looking at it now and I'm going, it's so obvious. Why didn't we pick it better? Mm-hmm. And so I just real quick, uh, the losers are going to go through and. Uh, each say our um, our our biggest regret. So we're gonna go with the number. Um, we're gonna start with uh, Sean on this one. So Sean, you're you're the biggest loser. It turns out. Sorry. Yeah, you guys. But, did you uh, know that? I just yesterday with the switch of Hobbs and Shaw and Secret Life yeah. of Pets dropped from second place to last. Yeah. I, I literally I just on the podcast. You can if you go back uh, a little bit when. Derek was talking about Hobbs and Shaw or was talking about Fast and Furious. I like my, I looked at the list and my jaw, <laughs> uh, my jaw dropped. <laughs> like I could, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was sure to be, to stick at number two, but yeah. yeah. I was, um, when I was looking at this earlier in the weekend, when I was making the numbers, I, uh, 
I had you at, at number three. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, so, well, cool. Yeah, I so, don't know. Um, it, I mean, the easiest, the easiest and obvious one is to switch Toy Story and The Lion King. Um, yeah. Or, you know, um, that to me now is probably the most obvious one. Um, so I, obvious. I kind of knew that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was going to make about as much money as it did. I just thought other movies were going to make more like Godzilla and um, uh, Godzilla and Men in Black. What was the other one? Uh, Men in Black. Yeah. Uh, I thought those two movies were going to make more money, but uh, apparently they didn't. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I, and then obviously John Wick chapter three, I had no idea that was coming. Um, I yeah. thought it was going to maybe make a, around a hundred million. Yeah. But yeah, I, I straight up laughed at Derek Wayne to Wayne made that pick. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought <laughs> I I, like, it, like what we were saying, it, it had to make <laughs> like over double, uh, it's uh, the John Wick Chapter Two's budget just to be even remotely eligible for uh, the summer movie wager, and it made way way more than that. I don't know if it made. Yeah. I forget what two made, but did it make even so, three times as much? So the, um, it's the so Keanu song. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves Keanu um, right now. He's so hot right now. So yeah, yeah Keanu's huge. Um, Last year and the year before as champion, so the two-time champion, um, he came in <laughs> third place um, mm-hmm. with 62 points. Um, Brandon, you're the only one of us two who chose the Lion King and at number two and Toy Story 4 at number three. So um, you had the one, two, and three totally right. Um, what What is your biggest regret? Yeah, it's interesting because still I had the most um, the the most dead on guesses out yeah, of the group. Five, so five out of perfect. five, five dead oh, yeah. on. But my fault is that I had three picks that are hundred percent didn't make the list, um, and that would be uh, Godzilla, uh, X Men, and Men in Black. So all three of those are really unfortunate. But one uh, really big sneaky move that uh, was shocking and surprising that I messed up on is guessing The Secret Life of Pets 2 would make a good amount of money. Um, Mm. The original made $368 million, and the the sequel here only made 157. So they took a massive cut on that sequel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all thought that was going to be big. It is like yeah. Just that was a part of the phrase in the. That was part of the phase in the summer when all the sequels weren't making as much as people thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. Men in Black, Godzilla, yeah. Secret Life of Pets. Yeah, they they all didn't make as much as they as people wanted them to. Um, so I'll just say now uh, I got in third place. I had sixty five points. Um, I've been saying it for weeks. My biggest uh, problem was Rocket Man. I chose Rocket Man, thinking, "Hey, Bohemian Rhapsody made, you know, five hundred million dollars. Um, Rocket Man will probably do something like that as well." Turns out, Rocket Man was rated R. No one saw it. I mean, that's not true. Actually, it made ninety-six million dollars, so it got in twelfth. But yeah, it wasn't anywhere near the top ten. Mm. That that gap that. 
$30 million gap. Uh, never felt so big. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, that was, that was big regret. Um, and John Wick, obviously, but so that just leaves one, one point though here. Uh, the winner, the champion, the, the Mm. new reigning, defending, (laughs) undisputed, uh, monthly movie dispatch, summer movie wager champion is Derek. What's the deal? How's it feel, man? Feels good. What's, what is the deal? So excited to see Brandon not win one of our contests. How did you do it? Oh my gosh, that's that's my biggest thing. I'm just yeah. happy Brandon didn't win. You know, yeah. I know I got in second place and all, but man, I was like, anyone. I was on team anyone but Brandon. So yep, <laughs> his title reign is over finally. His like 700 day title reign. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I owe a lot to Keanu and John Wick three. For you know. Derek, mm-hmm. you didn't get a whole lot of points for John Wick. I know it. You only, got only got three points it, from it. It's kind That's, of a uh, weird, weird sh- like situation where I just was close on everything, just uh-huh. close, closer enough to just barely beat out Nick. Yeah, um, I mean that was that is the deciding factor right there though. Like that three points for John mm-hmm. Wick. He Derek ended up with sixty seven. I had sixty five. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. For sure. So, what would we have done if there was a tie? I thought about that. We would have had tiebreaker. Yeah. We I figured just like flip like, a coin or something. Or you or, pick no, a... Whoever had maybe more dead-ons maybe, you know? like Yeah. Yeah. We would have, that would have been more, a good way to sell it. Who has more dead-on hits? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. But yeah, well, so now my I'm so excited, worst Derek. nightmare has come true. I have to pick a movie for you guys to watch. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> and... Yeah. I wrote I wrote down a movie that I thought that I like I have a guess on what I thought you were gonna pick. Okay. So I wrote it down. Ooh. Um are you gonna tell us now? Because uh, uh I can. Yeah, yeah, I figured. Yeah. Yeah, here it well, is. Well I'll hear what your what what your guess was. No, I'm not gonna tell I'm not gonna tell you until oh, okay. like I'll I'll hold it up if it's right. You oh, know? okay, got it. But uh Well, yeah, well so here's the thing. Uh, I, okay. I came up with like three movies I wanted you guys to watch. One of them I'm almost convinced you guys have seen and just didn't put it on Letterbox. I'm shocked if you guys haven't seen it. Um, My Letterbox is pretty, which accurate. is definitely possible. Well, that's what I was thinking, but I was like, it just it seems so unlikely. But you never know. So tell us the ones that it's not. Okay, so <laughs> and we'll so I, the one I chose, I still think Nick might have seen it, but but you know I think Nick keeps oh. his Letterbox most up to date, so I'm trusting Letterbox. But I'll say, do you want me to tell you the one that I think you guys have seen? Yep. Slither. Wait, which one are you saying? This isn't oh. the movie. This isn't the one I'm choosing. Have you guys seen oh. Slither? Okay. I have seen Slither. Okay, no. that's what I thought. <laughs> A long time ago. Right. I'd definitely be willing to watch it again. Because I, okay. I didn't actually Slither. like it when I first saw it. Right. I, I did not get that it was a comedy. Right. Or was a satire. So... so well, I, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't choose that one, but that was like the first thing that came to my head and I could not believe that none of you guys had seen it. Nick, you really haven't seen Slither? No. Wow. Okay. Well, good to know. But, uh, the movie I did choose for you guys to watch is Ty West's The House of the Devil. Oh. Oh. What? Yes. Interesting. Have you seen I've that, Nick? What is this? 
I have not. I've, oh, okay. I've not. I've I knew not. you kind of, you watched a bunch of Ty West, so I wasn't sure if you'd seen that one or not. But. I think I've seen two Ty West movies. Oh, okay. Maybe three, but I, I have not seen that. That's like his most. That's his most critically critically acclaimed movie. I think. Yeah, I figured it would give us the most to talk about wow. of the movies that we to see. So, uh, no, this is pretty recent. Oh yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah. He has what, what did you say it was? The house. The house of the, the devil. The house of the devil. Yeah. All right. Ooh, I'm already. Yeah, scared. this is exciting, oh, Derek. Yeah. It's. Um, um, I thought never I, even heard of it. So I ran into this. I actually think I've reviewed it on. I don't know if it was on our podcast. Greta Gerwig is in it. Or when me and Nick used to do like the, just the horror movie stuff reviews. Yeah. But um, yeah, I found it a while back. And I had, someone showed me The Innkeepers by Ty West, and then I kind of just went through all his movies. And this one really stuck out with me and always has since. It's like one of the best like haunted house movies I've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to check it out. I think we'll, I think you guys will love it a lot. And I haven't seen it in probably like five or six years, so I'm really excited to rewatch it too. Yeah, I remember yeah. when you did the Ty West, when you watched all of his movies. Yeah. And th- this is the yeah this is the big one that I haven't seen because I've seen the Innkeepers, the Sacrament, and uh, in the Valley of Violence, which is kind of a departure for him. Right. But I've always wanted to see the House of the Devil. Yeah. I've never seen a Ty West movie. Apparently. Oh. Yeah, me neither. Never. No. Uh, yeah, I haven't even seen any of his TV shows or. He's pretty yeah. good. He was like a indie horror director. But he hasn't made anything in a while. Or, yeah, I think he does TV shows mostly now. But uh, yeah. So the rule is that we all watch this and agree by next month, this time, when we come back on the podcast, we'll have it as a, a review up top. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek, just are you, in case you're wondering, I wrote down The Host. Oh. I thought you were going to make us watch The Host. Oh. I think I did look at that, but I thought you guys had seen that. I, I've seen the host. Okay. okay. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations once right. again, Derek. Yeah, thank you. And, um, thank God it's not a uh, super d- dramatic, depressing <laughs> foreign film. Yeah, instead it's going to be a uh, very scary, um, nightmarish uh, horror film. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, into that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so much better. <laughs> so much more pleasant. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so uh, let's move on. Like I said, we have we have two movies that we're going to talk about um, um, that we're going to bring to the table. Um, Sean, you have the first movie for for the month that we're going to recommend to the world. Yeah, um, the movie I uh, I loved this month was um, uh, the farewell. Uh, the uh, IMDb synopsis of it is uh, a Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep keep her in the dark, uh, scheduling a wedding to get to gather before she dies. Um, <clears throat> it's directed by Lulu Wang and also written by Lulu Wang. Uh, it stars Aquafina, uh, Tsi Ma and Diana Lin. Um uh, yeah, so I, I guess like to maybe give a little more context uh, to the to the movie. I don't think that the IMDb uh, summary did that good a job, but it um, 
yeah, it's about this this uh, woman is dying. Um, uh, this Chinese woman who's dying who lives in China and her American daughter finds out about this um, and wants to go visit her before she she dies of cancer. Um, but the family decides together uh, to not tell the grandmother that she is dying um, to keep her in the dark and and let her live the the last few months of her life. I think they give her three months to live. Um, <clears throat> they they want to let her live those three months um, kind of how she normally would happily or, or in, you know, without worrying or, or getting, being depressed about, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, they, the family decides to shoulder that burden um, and keep her in the dark about it as long as they can. Um, and so they, they tell the grandmother that, that, um, one of her grandsons is going to get married uh, and they put on this kind of fake wedding in order to uh, for the family to get together and say goodbye to the grandmother without actually getting to say goodbye. Um, So it's a it's a it's a pretty uh, incredible movie. It's something I I had no idea was even a thing. Um, I've heard from several sources, uh, that it is in fact something that is relatively common in China, um, for, for people to, to do. And they see it as sparing that, that person, um, uh, from the pain of, of knowing that they're going to die. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I thought the, the movie was incredibly sweet and, and, uh, intimate and, had some beautiful, beautiful performances. Um, the movie as a whole was very subtle. Um, it uh, it was very downplayed. A lot of the emotions were, by the nature of the movie, they're they're very much kept inside um, because they can't really. One of the themes of the movie is they can't really express um, the grief that they are feeling. Um, uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the the movie really does a great job of dealing with grief and um, kind of looking at grief from another culture's point of view. Um, uh, and it, it asks the question, like, how do you say goodbye to someone? How do we how do we let people go from our lives? Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have a whole lot to say about the movie. It's a fairly simple movie. Um, it really plays out in the subtlety of the scenes and in the nuance of the performances. Um, but one thing that the movie did particularly well and, and that I found particularly interesting is there was a lot of um, really fascinating kind of cultural moments throughout the movie um, uh, where you're actually kind of invited in to experience this, this other culture. One that uh, kind of stands out in particular is there's a scene where they go to visit the, uh, the grandmother's husband, so their, their grandfather who had passed um, several years before, and they just, they're in this graveyard, and they, the family is all interacting together, and they're, they're kind of going through um, these traditions, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know, um, I guess, these, these cultural or, or religious traditions um, at the graveyard that I found so fascinating. It was really beautiful the way the family interacted together in, in that scene and, and many other scenes. Um, 
Yeah. You were kind of also seeing a lot of those moments through the daughter's eyes who came over from America and especially thinking back to that scene Mm -hmm. in the cemetery. It was, it was kind of innocent and like sweet. Mm -hmm. And I remember the look on her face to the grandmother and what she was doing was really cute. Yeah, for sure. Um, Um, so Brandon, you're the only one that's, that's seen this movie out of, uh, the four of us, you and Sean are the only ones that have seen this movie. Um, so. Yeah, I think you said it really well, Sean, with how the movie's kind of underplayed. And I think that's why this movie is so impactful. Because it doesn't play out like some... It could so easily been a melodrama with this type of storyline mm-hmm. and this kind of family event. And it's not like that at all. It's really sweet and really quiet throughout most of the film. Um, and so I think that's what kind of makes it uh, stand apart from where this movie could have gone. Uh, yeah. And also I think it has an incredible, incredible payoff to that. Mm-hmm. Unlike also a lot of these super reserved indie films that like they're good cause that no one shows any emotion. Um, this movie like really has an intense little ending, uh, that kind of really choked me mm-hmm. up yeah, and definitely. I appreciated, yeah. I appreciated that. Uh, it gave me that. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's like I said. I guess it's just um, it's very played close to the chest because of of the nature of what they're doing with the grandmother. They can't say what they want to say to her. They can't um, express their emotions to her or or around her. Um, and so everyone's just like holding it in for the whole movie. So you don't get. Um, yeah, these it never even comes close to melodramatic. Um, yeah, it's very it's very interesting, you know, because uh, you, we clearly, I mean, we've all had the experience of uh, dealing with uh, some a loved one uh, passing away, and um, having to deal with grief and death and dying. These are all universal concepts, but um, um, at least based on my experience and my culture. Uh, we've never, I've never heard of anything like this happening. And like you said, Sean, like this is like maybe a fairly regular thing in China. Um, so it's, it's interesting that this movie is made and it gives you such a uh, insight, um, to, to another culture like that. Um, I can't help but think, um, I can't help but wonder, I guess, um, if like movies like this, um, if this was able to be made and produced and, uh, spread, have a wide release because of the success of last summer's crazy rich Asians. Mm. Um, if it, you know, if that helped open the door for, you know, that we showing that American audiences are interested in, um, uh, movies about Asian cultures. Um, yeah. I, I guess I was wondering that with that movie, there were a lot of, uh, standout performances and things that kind of catapulted it. Were, were there any standout performances of actors and actresses in, in this movie? Um, Absolutely. Uh, Aquafina in a very, very different, uh, role from, from what she did in, in crazy rich Asians. She was absolutely hilarious in crazy rich Asians. And this movie was not a comedy at, at all. Um, there are a few sweet moments that were kind of, um, played off as fun and, and a little cute and funny, um, within the family, but <clears throat> she, did a she uh, had a pretty deadpan performance um and it was yeah it was very nuanced and reserved and um it was pretty pretty amazing you, you definitely did not i definitely did not expect that 
um, out of her in such a such a huge jump in such a short amount of time. Um, it's really cool to see when actors are able to uh, do that, make that kind of leap uh, in their talents. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to see this movie got a decently wide release. When I was watching the trailer, I felt like it was going to stay pretty small, mm-hmm. but it's cool that it got picked up. Um, also, this movie is, it's not a completely... Like this is a American film. It's made, uh, you know, it's not a foreign language film technically, and it has a lot mm-hmm. of English in it. So I think that definitely helped it. Uh, these big theaters take a, ch- a little bit of a chance on it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not right, completely but, in a different language. Yeah. Right. It's not. It's not an Asian film, like a uh, foreign. Yeah. But, but still, like it's a movie about their culture, which is. We, we don't I'm, I'm just saying like it's like that that hasn't been a box office draw for I mean I don't know, I just I guess I was just wondering if crazy you know crazy rich Asians was huge last year and it was kind of a game changer in a lot of ways for their culture like I remember people were like you know like on the slash filmcast David Chen like rented out a movie theater to show just his Asian friends because it was such so, so important that that movie was like having such a big big impact. Um, I don't know. It just it's just cool that uh, damn it it did get this movie made five times its budget, Nick. Mm. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it seems to be an audience that maybe Hollywood's just now being willing to tap into for some reason. Maybe it is because mm. Crazy Rich Agents just hit so big. But that was a pretty big movie though, too, wasn't it? Crazy Rich Agents. Like it was a, it seemed like it was a definitely had a decent budget. It wasn't like a silent hit. It was like, yeah, seemed like they knew it was going to be big. Um, Yeah. I mean, it had a big, it was based on a really popular book and it, um, it, you know, they had a halfway decent budget. And I also wonder if they were willing to um, put in that kind of, or give that movie that type of budget because it was, I think it did do pretty well in foreign markets as well, which you might have predicted a little bit better, more easily. But, um, yeah. This movie looks really great. I also haven't seen it, but um, it's definitely the kind of movie that I'm really interested in. Like, I I love movies like this that are just, I think Nick kind of tapped on it. Like, we've all kind of experienced some version of this dealing with death and especially, you know, almost everyone goes through losing their grandparent at some point. And so it's just like, it, it seems so accessible and it seems like something that, uh, all of us can find a lot of importance in. And so I, I kind of understand why this movie's really hitting really well. Like, you know, I, I see people talking about it all over the place and, um, yeah, it's just a, that's a, I'm glad that they're making it. Like that's a, it's a cool, it's an easy thing for or any of us to really get into. And, um, do you think, I know you mentioned that Aquafina had a really good performance. Do you think it's like, does this feel like an Oscar kind of calling card kind of movie? Um, no, you think it'll, it, it, uh, that's my no. prediction. I, feel I would like guess. Twenty four hasn't done so well with Oscars. I mean, so much right. of Oscar stuff yeah. is political and how right. they run their campaign. And is it just me, or has A twenty four not really hit that hard with Oscar mm. stuff? 
Man, Room did yeah. great, yeah, I can't, but that's the I only can't. one I can really think of. Moonlight. Oh, yeah, Moonlight. Was that, Moonlight? Was that A24? I don't know. Uh, yeah, Moonlight guess, won yeah. Best Picture. <laughs> Moonlight was yeah. A24 and won Best Picture. So. Yeah. <laughs> Color me stupid. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, it definitely kind of seems like uh, people have talked about a lot of A24 movies that should have uh, been nominated and kind of got snubbed, like um, Tony Collette last year with Hereditary and... I don't know. It's probably some other movies. Yeah. I, I recently made a list on Letterboxd that was my uh, A24 uh, ranked. Um, uh, and uh, they have so many good movies. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a private list because it's kind of like, it's kind of pointless to compare movies that are so vastly different. Like, how do you, how do you compare Moonlight to uh, Swiss Army Man? <laughs> uh, it's not yeah. really possible except just you know preference or whatever but man goddamn a24 is like the best it was kind of weird because they i feel like they started popping around around the same time we started seeing like bloom house and some other low budget studios and uh and they're putting out some good movies but now you've now we're like you know five or six years past like their really big you know debut and yeah, they have a crazy list of movies that they've made. Even this year, right. I put down like this year, Midsummer from last month, and then both of the movies on our list this month are all A24, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. And, and they're all, a lot of them are making pretty decent money too. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they yeah, can like, really ramp up. I think the awesome. first A24 movie I saw was Tusk. That was A24? Oh, really? Yep. Wow. So, oh, man. I mean, <laughs> Setting they've the bar low high. for them. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. Hey. It's not nice. A24 sure. is insane. Low-hanging right fruit, Sean. This year. <laughs> yeah. The souvenir, I don't think any of you guys saw, was incredible. Um, the death of Dick Long, the follow-up directing the sophomore movie um, of... Swiss Army Man, mm. and then The Lighthouse also comes out this year. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Cool. So with that, let's move on to our next movie. Um, um, Brandon, you're going to introduce this movie. Yeah. Speaking of A24, here's another film that came out this summer. Uh, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, to me, this is likely going to be an end-of-the-year top 10 type film. Uh, the INDB synopsis says, uh, a young man searches for home in the changing city that seems to have left him behind. Pretty brief, but that changing city is San Francisco. And this movie blew me away. First off, the trailer's gorgeous, and I was really excited to go. Um, but as soon as this movie starts, it has such like a creative world that it builds you know, it's kind of like based in this like weird f- off fiction San Francisco where things are just like a little bit different and people act just a little bit different. Like the gang outside of the street seems awkwardly isolated in their own. Like they never leave that corner 24-7. They just kind of exist there in that state. Um, this man Wait, I don't who mean to interrupt preaches your... in front. Yeah. Go, keep going. I'm sorry. What's up? No, no, I just like I'm, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're saying this because like 
honestly, it was like for me throughout the movie, I um, I didn't know if I was like imagining that or not. You know, where like like the movie starts off pretty quick and they're like cleaning the water in San Francisco with these hazmat suits, and there's that guy who's like preaching about them cleaning the water, and he's like, "How come we're not wearing hazmat yeah. suits?" And I was like, and he seems to be there day in and day out. Um, constantly just preaching on his own on this podium with no one watching. Right. Um, there's, there's all these great like moments that are building this like real, but kind of not real version of San Francisco. And it, yeah, just world building's the ba- the best word for it. I loved the, I loved the polluted water that's introduced at the beginning of the film and just how that plays out and you're keep getting reminded of it and what that means to these main characters and what it means to their city that's changing um, also like the characters in this movie are really special. Even like the side characters have their, have their moments and their unique personality that you really feel for. Um, like the best friend's father who's blind and, uh, there's some really like intimate moments there. The, uh, I guess Glover. the kind of, right. Dan- oh yeah. Dan- okay. Danny Glover. There you go. Um, yeah, the owners of the house and them like not really being that pissed off, but also wanting them to leave, but they're not going to call the cops. He's kind of like nice, but not nice characters. Like everyone that kind of surrounds our two, um, our two main cast, which I guess I should say uh, is played by uh, Jonathan Mayers and Jimmy Fails, um, are the two leads in this movie, and they both do a fantastic job. I, I especially thought Jonathan Mayers was a really, really weird, interesting take on a character. He's like, he's really quiet. He hardly says anything throughout this film, but he also like has this confidence that comes out in, uh, later on in the movie. And just this really like creative artistic guy that's always inside of his head. Um, it's a, just a fascinating character. Well, this is something that I wanted so, to bring. This is something that I want to talk about. Um, so uh, can I just say that this is I would I was gonna pick this movie too like me and Brandon uh, I watched this movie mm-hmm. uh, because you recommended it so hard you know like I saw that it was coming out and I had heard about it but you know it was kind of like well you know Blind Spotty came out last year and there's no way it's better than Blind Spotting and you know they're basically the you know the black man in the Bay Area you know it's gotta be the same this is me making fun of myself because I didn't really think that it just was you know. I don't know. I just was like, maybe I don't need to see it. But then you were going on and on about how great it is. And okay, uh, I'll see it. And um, yeah, I mean, I was, I I too, I was blown away. And it's the kind of movie that I want to recommend to pretty much everybody. You know, like I think that um, it's so sweet and heartfelt and has so many, so many truths and um, has just has a lot of honesty about it. Um, but, um, one thing I wanted to, I wanted to bring up relating to the, uh, the two main actors. So that character that you're talking about, um, um, what, 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 what was his name again? Um, Jonathan Mayers, Jonathan Mayers. He, um, played the best friend, Joe, right? So the main character's name is Jimmy and he's like, he, there's that big house. There's basically, there's a big house in San Francisco and, uh, he, He's like obsessed with it. His grandfather built it, so he's he goes over there and he takes care of it. And he's got his best friend Joe, who is a screen is a playwright. 
And um, I looked it up after the movie, and um, Jimmy Fails is the name of the... He plays himself, basically. Like, it's... He, he co-wrote the movie with Joe Talbot, who's the first... Who's the director of the movie. And so I'm pretty sure Joe... Um, you know, he didn't, he didn't play himself, but it's like, it's their story. You know, it's Jimmy's story and Joe's, the director is the screenwriter in it or the play. He's the playwright. He's the best friend. So it's, it's, it's their movie together. But, um, what I thought was interesting was that Joe Talbot, the director, um, he's a white guy. And I looked him up on Larabox. Like, I, you know, the guy's picture on there, like he looks very much like, you know, he doesn't look at all like the like that character. He looks like you know, he's got like a hat like off to his side. You know, he just kind of looks like a scruffy white dude and not like a, you know, insightful, um, confident, but stoic black man, you know. And um, I was just thinking, like, this guy wrote and directed the movie. You know, he he cast it. You know, it's an indie movie. So he cast it. He must he purposefully cast himself. Um, you know, he, he didn't cast a white guy, he cast a black guy. And, um, I just couldn't help but think that they did like the reverse green book, you know, like there was a lot of criticism of green book where, um, you know, it's the story of, you know, this famous jazz musician, but it's told from, you know, the white guy's perspective because, you know, the white guy wrote the movie, like the white guy's son wrote the movie. And it's like, it's told from his perspective. Well, isn't the more interesting story about the the guy whose story it is and i i I don't know i couldn't help but think that they they wrote it you know they they cast it that way to kind of keep the focus a certain way you know um where that where they wanted the focus to be they wanted the focus to be on jimmy's story and how he um how he was struggling with um the changing of the times and how he could have ended up as one of those gangsters that were hanging on the side of the street corner. And instead he had this house that he was obsessing about. And, uh, he had the whole history of San Francisco, like on his back and he was carrying it around like a, like a, like a pride sort of thing. Um, yeah, I had no idea the main, the lead Jimmy also wrote the film. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty unique. That's kind of what I meant. Same about thing um, in Blind Spotting, right? I think both the yeah, main characters yeah. in Blind Spotting they co-wrote the film together, and they were both the lead actors also. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No wonder this film feels so personal as well. Yeah. They're very different movies. Like I, I and I, I didn't mean to like you know so sarcastically like you know lump them together but you know it's kind of hard not to when they both deal with like racial relations and take place in the bay area but and also also set on set in modern times but um but i i don't think that the last black man in san francisco is directly about um race relations like it, it is a little bit like it's about gentrification but it's kind of also about how just times change and places change and people change. Um, it, it, it's, it's like, it's, it covers a lot of themes. Like it goes over toxic masculinity and, uh, kind of, kind of puts, there's like a really emotional scene. I don't really want to get into it because it's spoilers, but like it kind of turns toxic masculinity on its head. Like it shows like, you know, these strong guys being vulnerable. And, um, 
I, I don't know. I, I really appreciate that in movies like this. It's a really like heartfelt movie, and um, you know, Blind Spotting kind of had like a lot of tension, and it was it was very uh, it was very you know like like something bad is gonna happen, and I kind of felt that a little bit with this movie, but it it wasn't really about bad things happening. It was more about just like how people feel, and. Um, Blind spotting was pretty funny. This one wasn't that funny. It was just like a, it was just a very sweet, sweet movie. Nick, that line at the very end of the film, like I can't get it out of my head. It like, as soon as the words came out of the lead character's mouth, it just like blew me away. Yeah, there's just a beautiful, a beautiful moral wrapped up in such a unique, unique like way of being said and. I think it's so true and something that like can really dictate your actions outside of this film and in other areas of life. I think it's okay for you I to say it, really honestly. Beautiful. I don't think it's like a spoiler. So so it accumulates in this one little quiet moment on a bus and uh, the lead goes, do you love San Francisco? Uh, to these two bitching uh, girls on the bus that are complaining about the city. He goes, do you, do you love San Francisco? You don't get to hate it because you don't get to hate it unless you love it. And I think that's really, really great. Yeah. Yeah, that's really and then, interesting. I feel like that like ties into like this thing where like, like he he felt displaced in this place that he loved so much. You know, it's the place changed around him, and um, it's sad. But you know, things happen, and sometimes I don't know. You just kind of have to accept it, or that's kind of what the movie's about. Um, it's a it's a really beautiful sentiment. Seems pretty straightforward, right? It's like uh, I don't know. I, I feel like after watching it, the trailer is amazing, and uh, I think Brandon mentioned something about the score of the movie. The trailer score is incredible too. I don't know if that's from the movie or not, but it's amazing. Yeah, it's on oh, the movie. It's, it's really so beautiful. But uh, yeah, it was, the the movie just seems like. Um, you know, the more and more you guys are talking about it is getting me really excited about it. That world building you're talking about, that's like, that's just so cool when movies do that. I love that, like, that just makes any drama ten times more interesting to me. When you're able to turn, you know, you just tweak these little things to make just something just feels a little off, a little different. And uh, like like you said, like the gang on the street corner 24-7 and stuff like that. I, that just, that kind of world building sounds so fascinating and so interesting. Get, that gets me really excited to watch the movie. But, uh, so I'm curious about this film. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of movies this year already. And you guys are giving it quite a bit of praise. What... If there was one thing you could pick out about the movie, whether it's the cinematography or writing or whatever, what what do you think about this movie is going to be the thing to beat for other movies to get like on your top 10 list, if that makes sense? Like if this movie's going on your list, I'm just curious, what is the one thing about it? What's like the best thing about it that you're going to be comparing other movies to when you're making your list? Yeah, I mean, this kind of plays to the concept of, like, how you make your list. Right. You know, are you someone who's just, like, you know, has a uh, metric of, um, you know, a point system or something of uh, how you rate a movie? And so this is a 8.75, you know, so um, it, 
it clearly is going to make the list because right. you know the the whatever. Or do you make the or do you make your list based on like the kind of movies that you're into and like uh, do you pick like representations of certain things to have on there? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like if if I, I I'm kind of more the second, and so I think I could answer your question pretty well. Um, I um, I would I would say the heart. You know, I, I, like I said before, this movie is very honest and it's it's made completely by its creators. Like it's about them in a certain way. Like, I don't know how, you know, I don't know if it's 100 percent honest or 100 um, percent like, you know, true to real life, whatever. Like I kind of doubt it is, but the the feeling of it felt very honest and real. And I think that has to do with its heart. And I think that just has it carries its heart on sleeve and um um, it's going to be hard to find another movie that um, is so honest in that way. Cool. What about you, Brandon? I think it's kind of like awesome what this movie, just on like a basic level, is about. What they were able to like write a two-hour script around. Just this one like beautiful house in the middle of San Francisco that this character um, wants back uh, to be his. And... It's yeah. As you're like in the movie, you're you're like, is this is this is the story? This is like, this is the problem, and it's just so unique and so different um, to base an entire two-hour film around, and that's that's really special. So that's why it'll probably be pretty high for me as well. Cool. Yeah, I was um, I was definitely planning on watching this movie this week. Um, this last week and then you know i'm absolutely gonna go see it at some point um in the near future i just i literally didn't have a second to watch this movie it's uh Uh, it's available on uh at the red box and rental on itunes or you could go to your local theater uh theater uh not theater your local video store rental like (laughs) reckless video in maple leaf and uh like i did but Mm -hmm. it it is available for rent about so often so. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so I, I actually didn't really, uh, I didn't really want to do much research on this movie or, or see it, rewatch the trailer for it, to, you know, just to kind of keep my head clear of it uh, before going to see it. But um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I guess I wanted to ask about like uh, San Francisco and how it's portrayed in this movie. I really love it when movies, um, give you a good sense of place. Um, and especially if it can give you an idea of the, the identity of a city, especially a city that you don't really see a whole lot, or I guess San Francisco is, you you see it quite a bit in movies, but, um, you know, I haven't been to San Francisco, I think, since maybe high school on a church mission trip or something. And uh, I, I imagine it's changed quite a bit since then. So, like, how how does this movie give you a sense of San Francisco and what it's all about and and how it's changed? And are there any, like, specific um, specifics you can talk about, I guess? The movie gives, like, some really cool history about this house mm. since it's all kind of based around the house. And um, the the characters keep referring to it over and over again throughout the film. But uh, the architecture of this house is like in the style of the late 1800s. Um, It's in a neighborhood that was predominantly like Japanese Mm. that all got um, rounded up after World War II in concentration camps. 
um, internment. And they like, and then the like black people moved in and took over the neighborhood, and now it's slowly getting gentrified out since then. And the movie like really kind of gives you the whole history of what this house has been through, and I, that's really fascinating. There's a really funny and, like, scene. Yeah, I agree with you. I love it when the movies do that. There's a really funny scene where he's uh, he's sitting like on the like kind not on the roof of the house, but like on an awning of it. He's like sitting outside on the on the, like the middle roof, I guess. And this group of of moped riders come riding up to the house and they're doing like a tour of San Francisco and they start, you know, the, the leaders like telling him about the history and he like interrupts them and like corrects him. But it's, <laughs> it's very funny cause it's like, it's like kind of the difference between what San Francisco is now. Those white dudes riding mopeds and wait, were they mopeds? No, what no, are they called? Segways. Balancing two wheeled segways, yeah. Segways, yeah. Sorry, like yeah. way nerdier. They're riding segways. Um, Job. Um, yeah, they show. They have a lot yeah. of like douchey jokes like that. And uh, yeah. there's one Nick that made me laugh so hard because they hit home. Is when they go to the real estate broker's office for the first time. Um, he has a stand, electric standing desk oh that he gosh. moves with the push of a button. Dude. And I'm Dude, literally at, standing at an electric standing desk mm. right now. Oh <laughs> and so gosh. when he did that and there was that awkward you moment where the slowly lowered. <laughs> yeah, I have one. You have one of those in your house? Oh my God, Brandon. Uh, yeah, oh I was cringing gosh. so You're hard cringing at myself <laughs> during that moment. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, he's yeah. also God, the main character so the main character is also a skater so he's like constantly skating around the city so you got a lot of like long shots of like the hills and the different oh. areas they're skating through there's some really cool architecture that you see like mm. his his dad lives in this really cool building where it's like a it's like a mural of someone's face but he like lives in uh, the window that's open so you like look up and it's like you're looking at the dad's apartment but it's like someone's face in one little window so there's a lot of there's a lot of shots like that so it, i think it definitely captures san francisco it's a really pretty movie yeah nice yeah i'm definitely gonna try watching mm-hmm. it real soon this sounds mm-hmm. so good i'm, just, I'm getting really yeah. excited like I said, I would recommend it to pretty much anybody. Like I've been, that's the movie I've been talking about just like all week. I just keep being like, "Hey, you guys should watch this movie. It's really great." Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, so with that though, I think that we should wrap up this episode. Um, it's kind of a shorter month just because um, it's August. There aren't as many big movies that are out. So, mm-hmm. um, real quick, are there any movies that you guys are excited about for September? Um, Derek, I know you already have tickets for something. <laughs> yeah, for it. Chapter two, definitely excited. Uh, I might end up changing it because now it sounded like Christina might want to go. But regardless, um, it was one of my favorite movies. I think it made my top ten uh, two years ago, uh, the, the first one. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was so awesome. It was like the exact kind of big budget blockbuster horror movie we haven't gotten in a very, very long time. So it was just so much fun. Yeah, and this movie looks pretty epic. It's like three hours long, so I'm really excited to check it out. It's going to make all the money. I'm so excited. It's going to make so much money. Um, Yeah, I actually just watched It Chapter 1, rewatched It Chapter 1 to get ready for Chapter 2. So I'm pretty excited for that one, too. I don't have tickets yet. That comes out this week? Yeah, it comes out the 6th, right? Yeah. This Friday? What? 
Um, yeah, I, I actually um, just recently kind of went through the internet, you know, went through the internets and uh, looked for a bunch of movies that are coming out this year, you know, the fall and, and into through December. And like, I've, I got so excited um, for this season, this upcoming season. Uh, there's so many good movies. I think I added like 26 movies on my want to watch list and just, it's really awesome. But um, I actually kind of forget Does Ford versus Ferrari. Does that come out this month? Um, I don't remember. I that might like be October. October, but I, I maybe it I, is. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that movie. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, Ad Astra is what also is October, I believe. Brandon. Hey, spoiler! Oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm just getting so excited. So, so my movie movies. I'm most anticipated for is this film called Ad Astra, um, by the director yeah, James sure. Gray, who did The Lost City of Z mm-hmm. uh, last year. Uh, God damn, this movie looks crazy. This is easily my most anticipated film of the year. And I am ready for a heady yet epic sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks really good. I really, I'm really excited about the movie, Tim. Yeah, I'm like just praying. Like, it's it looks so nuts and so big. Like, but I know, I know, I don't know how many of us saw Lost City of Z, but I remember the one thing Brandon said about it is that it was like a really good kind of throwback kind of movie that you don't really see very often. So I'm hoping like that's what this movie is going to be too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of Lost City of Z, but part of that was just like, I don't know, Charlie Hunnam's like pretty boring to me. <laughs> so like Brad Pitt in space is like just way more interesting. So right. um, just, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that movie. Um there's a smaller movie that's getting a wide release, like, right now, um, called The Nightingale, that I'm pretty excited about. Like, mm-hmm. I almost went and saw it on my birthday, but then I was like, you know what, John Wick will be way more fun. Just, that seems more like a birthday movie. Because The Nightingale's like a revenge western, and apparently it's, like, pretty brutal, but I just keep hearing about how amazing it is. Um, so that's, that's directed by, um... Jennifer Kent, yes. yes, she did the Babadook of the late, yeah, yeah. So first of all, I love supporting female directors, and second of all, the Babadook was great. So, um, and yeah, third of all, right. the Nightingale looks really, really intense. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna try to see that one so, soon too. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely been on my like just waiting for that movie to come out for a long time now. Yeah. So um, yeah, with that, um, I think we should just wrap it up and. Uh, um, we can just say woohoo and uh, yeah, yeehaw, yeah. So, um, we'll talk next month for September and have some more uh, movie choices for you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, bye, bye. everyone. Bye. bye.